time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. If you love Jesus, say, I do. If you believe it, that he is king and Lord and reigns forever and ever, say, he does. Thank you. Good, 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 good. All right, have you guys had a good time? <laughs> All right. Well, we are so thankful that you have been here. We are excited. We've got a long way to go tonight. We're not even close to being done. And uh, it's going to be a good night. It's going to be a great, great, great night. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, we love loving you. We love loving you. We love seeking you. We love knowing you. We love being your sons and your daughters. We love being your children. We love being on mission to do something on the planet. We love that we've got life in you and we gave you our lives and you gave us a better life. God, we just love you. We love what you're doing. We love who you are. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and illuminate your word, cause it to come alive inside of our hearts. Let us walk up out of here tonight confident, surrendered, passionate, and ready to go be who you've called us to be. And everybody said amen. Amen. Well, I've got a confession to make. It's very embarrassing. It's hard to admit. But uh, last month, I was... Uh, washing the dishes and the way that it works at my house is uh, while you wash the dishes, I, I can actually like see what's going on on the TV and I have my little kids and I had uh, a movie. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's not very well known. It's called The Lion King. And um, I had The Lion King playing and, and so my kids were watching it and I was doing dishes and I'm, you know, watching dishes and, 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 and I kind of got into the movie and when you have as big a family as I have, you end up washing dishes for a long time and and so I, 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 we got to a moment, and you probably are familiar with the moment, but it's, it's a moment where Simba has a conversation with his father, Mufasa. Ooh, say it again. Yeah. And so I'm, I, I'm watching this, and there's a conversation between Simba and Mufasa. My confession is I started to cry. My little girl, Olivia, now my little girl, Olivia, she's five and she's like real dainty. She only wears pink and she only wears dresses. And she's like, you know, that kind of real girly girl type girl. And she, she, she catches it. She caught me. And she looks at me and she goes, Daddy, are you crying? And I just had a little bit of an awkward moment because I, was, I got caught up in the movie and there's this... This moment that kind of moved me because when I, when I watch it and I, I see the storyline, I see so much of, it, of our lives in it because there's, there's this little baby lion named Simba and Simba has a dad named, come on, say it again. Yeah, he's got a dad named Mufasa and, and Simba is Mufasa's boy. I mean, Simba, Simba is the, the young lion and they live at Pride Rock and Simba's got a great life ahead of him. He's got a great future ahead of him. He's the son of the king, and he's got a great destiny in front of him. In fact, he loves to sing a song called, I just can't wait to be, I just can't wait to be, I just can't wait to be king. He, he knows who he is. He's got this idea, I, I, I'm the son of Mufasa, I'm the son of the king. I've got a, a great destiny ahead of me. I've got a great future ahead of me. And yet, in the storyline, it's really rough because there's a, Horrible, terrible Uncle Scar. Scar. Uncle Scar lies to little Simba. 
For those of you that are, uh, you know, over 50, sorry. This is a, uh, maybe you've seen it. Okay, so anyway, so Scar lies to little Simba. Do you remember this? And he looks at him and he says to him, he says, you killed your father. Remember that? There's a moment where the, un- the mean uncle Scar, he lies to little Simba. Simba believes it. Simba believes a lie. He believes that he kills his fault. It's his fault that, that his dad got run over by the running wildebeests, which they don't, I don't know what those are, but, and, and so, so Simba believes this little lie. And then you remember what Scar says to him? He looks at him, he says, run far, far away. And little Simba runs out. He leaves Pride Rock. He leaves where he's supposed to be the next king. He leaves his future and he heads out to the swamplands. He heads out and he ends up in the swamp hanging out with who? And they are like little, I don't even know what, meerkats and a, and a warthog. When I was a young, yes, good. And so... And so he's hanging out in the swamplands, hanging out with these animals. And when he first gets there, he doesn't really like their lifestyle. Do you remember, remember that? He gets there and they give him, you know, like a plate full of... And he, and he, and he takes them out and, he, and he, at first he doesn't like it. Remember, he's like... And he hates it. And then they eat it and they, they taste like chicken. And then all of a sudden he kind of starts to get used to it. And he starts... First he hates it and slugs and then he starts to like it and you see him just get used to hanging out eating slugs and of course he used to eat the antelope he used to have the good life as the son of the king and now he's just become kind of content hanging out living in the swampland and they have a whole different philosophy in the swampland called akuna and akuna matata means it means no for the rest of our days right i mean at the very core it means it means chill out man it means the good life it means no worries. It means just hanging, just chilling. And everything's going to turn out. <laughs> and there's this, this great moment. This is the moment that messed me up. Where, where all of a sudden, you see this goofy, awkward, little witch doctor monkey type thing. <laughs> Rafiki. Do you remember? And he comes and he just starts beating Simba on the head. <laughs> remember who you are. And he says to him, remember who you are. And he reminds him. He reminds him that he's the son of the king. <laughs> hey, hey, it might be easy out here in the swampland. But you've got a better destiny. You've got something more important. And I I just was amazed as all of a sudden this little lion that lived a lie, believed because he believed a lie, he started to live a half-hearted existence. He started to live in the swamplands when all of these other people that needed him, or not people, but animals. Disney, sometimes it gets confusing. All of them needed him and he had a role to play. Now, I don't know how many, how many of us, time and time again, time and time again, we believe the lie that the enemy says. And as you go back, as you go back to wherever you came from, 
you're going to go back and there's been a story that's been told here this weekend. Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, we've been hearing stories. And the very first night, we all right here, we were before God and we were repenting. And we came before Jesus and we said, I want to live differently. God, I repent. And we repented of sin. We repented of specific things. And we repented of, of, our, of, our, of our sin and our own lifestyle. We said, God, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to give you everything. And we repented. We saw God. The next morning, Pastor Brady came and we talked about how, hey, in this journey, there's going to be moments where it's not going to turn out like we expected. So even, even in the difficult moments, it's going to be easy to give up, but we're not going to, we're not, even when it feels like God didn't do it the way we wanted, our life didn't turn out quite like we wanted, we had some difficult circumstance, and we thought maybe when we came to Jesus, we'd have a Disney experience and everything would be wonderful, but reality is, is that when we faced it, man, it's easy to be a little bit disappointed, and we talked about, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what happens. And then the next story that was told, kind of a, a, a continuing story Aaron came up here and we, he, he talked about how each one of us are slaves to righteousness and we don't have to be slaves to sin. And we came before God and we said, I choose to be a slave of righteousness. Last night, I don't know if you remember, but Matthew Barnett called us to live for others and that there was a cause within us and to help other people. And many of you laid out prostrate before God, said, I want to fulfill those dreams. This morning, Dan called us to be courageous and we said, we'll be courageous, we'll live with courage. Banny came and said, we got to be holy, we got to be consecrated, we got to be set apart. Jump off the cliff. Choose it. Let it go deep in your foundations. Let the cement dry in a place of being set apart rather than like the world. And there's this, been, this phenomenal story that's been told. And now we stand at a crossroads because the, our time together is about to conclude. When you leave here, when you leave here, there's going to be two different stories. There's going to be the story that's been told here. And there's going to be the story that you have back home. And those two stories are going to start off. And you've got this story going and you've been running movies in your mind. Of, I'm consecrated unto the Lord. I'm holy the Lord's. I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to be set apart. I'm going to repent. I, God loves me. We've got all those things going on here. And yet you're about to go into this other world. And if you were to imagine, run movies in your mind, picture specific people that you know that are going to be a part of your world when you're a public school or your neighbors, your friends, the people that are, are those that will maybe mock you or drag you down, it's gonna, there's going to be a moment where the story that's been told here is going to co collide with the story back home, and you've got to make a choice at your very core as to who you are, who you're going to be. And when, 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 when you look at where you're going and your next phase, the very root the very root that will cause you and enable you to live without compromise. The very core that's going to empower you to take this story into your world. Is that at your core, these ideas have gone so deep that they have become who you are. They've become, they, 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 they're branded you. It's become your identity. That identity is a big word, but it's become, when you think about yourself, th these ideas are more who you are than what the world says that you are, what the devil says about you. And when you look at compromise down throughout the generations, the core reason why people compromise and give up, settle for half-hearted Christianity not, most people don't, you know, chuck it all out in America. We don't chuck it out and go, oh, I'm going to become an atheist. It's not, it's not a high percentage that do that. The high percentage are people that become disillusioned, believe the lie of the enemy, believe maybe what, like what Scar did, 
Scar lied to him. They believe a lie. They believe the father of lies, the enemy, roaring like a lion. They believe a lie. When you believe a lie, then over time, you just start to go, well, I guess I'll just chill out. I don't, I, I'm not going to fulfill my destiny. I, I, I probably can't. I, I'm, I'm too messed up. And they start to settle for the swamplands. When I say swamplands, I'm talking about, I'm talking about average, lethargic Christianity. Where we take God in name as a cultural value, but there's no evidence that he's really our Lord in our lives. And it's common. It's so common. And as you go from here, it's going to be a temptation. The way that you will be able to combat the lie of the enemy and take your story of what's happening here, what Jesus has done in your life. It all comes down to what movies you run in your mind and at your core, what you believe to be true about you. Your identity. Who are you? What do you believe? There's gonna be a thousand voices. Which one will you believe? I remember when I was in junior high and I was a, a rather small junior high man. I know that surprises you, but as a, uh, as a junior high kid, I, I was a, not, not a very big guy. And um, I sh- shot up in high school. That's how I got to be so big. But then in, uh, I-, I remember in junior high, I-, I, had a f- I have a great dad. And my dad is a pastor. And my dad loves me. And my dad was walking with me. And we were buzz. And we were friends. And I would come home so discouraged because there was so many statements in my public junior high about what people said about me. And the temptation was for me to start to believe what they said about me. Because all my friends, all these people, I didn't have many friends, but people would say other stories. And I was rooted and I was established as a, as a, as a Christ follower and I had a Christian family and I, and I knew scriptures and I could quote scriptures and I, I knew worship songs. But when I hit a public junior high where there was a different story being told, there's a crisis. Because what happens when that world, that Jesus world hits, I mean, in the hallways where you have people making fun of you and where you have cussing all around you and where you have hatred and bitterness and lust and everybody trying to look better than each other and trying to date each other and then and, and, and starting to say, you ought to be this way. And, you, and all of those kinds of stories enter into this story and it gets rivaled and challenged. And I remember my dad, he used to look at me and he used to always say the same thing. He would say, David, don't you believe that? He'd say, you're a John Wesley. And I was like, yeah, I'm a John Wesley. And I go back to my school, I'm a John Wesley, I'm a John Wesley. After a couple months, I was like, who on earth is John Wesley? <laughs> he said he was a great preacher that helped usher in the Great Awakening. And I looked him up on my own and found out he was a five foot three preacher with a squeaky voice. <laughs> Some things turn out just right. But at the core, he was combating that story, saying there's a better story. He's saying, you're a John Wesley. And let me tell you, it started to go into my heart. What goes on in your head, what you believe to be true, this, this is the most important thing about you. As you go back and go, I don't want to be a man of compromise. I want to live with no compromise. The core, how will you sustain it? How will you live it? How will it be true of you? Is it going to be mostly that you just kind of grit your teeth and go, here it goes. I'm more dedicated than all those other people. Watch me roar. No. On your own commitment, your own zeal, it won't happen. The strength will come when in your mind, 
trans- we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We renew. This is the truth. And at the very core, you've got to lock in with truth. You will be tempted to believe lies about yourself. The enemy wants you to believe lies. There's thousands of them. To try to articulate which lies of the enemy are out there, it's, it's, it's unending. There's just there's so many. There is one who is true. His name is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you, as you leave here, the story that, the story that you must believe about your own life is the story of who you are in Christ. Who you are in Jesus. It's the most important story. It's the most important truth. It's the way that you will combat compromise. Whenever you don't know who you are, whenever you don't know what you believe, you're tempted, you will compromise because you don't have a core conviction. That's why, that's why, the, that's why when you look at the entertainment industry, they're praying, P-E-R-E-Y, they're praying upon you because you don't know what you believe. They try to build colognes and perfumes and clothes and materialism. Oh, they make billions of dollars off of teenagers because they think those guys, they don't know what they believe. The secret to sustaining this, all that God has done in the last three days. Set your core, lock in with who you are. It's what Paul says to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy's kind of like his protege. He's younger. Paul's getting older. And Paul's writing in 1 Timothy 6, and I love it. He says, but you, and then there's, it says, but you, 1 Timothy 6, 11, but you, comma, man of God, and it says, flee from lust, pursue righteousness. <laughs> I love that because it's old man Paul looking at young man Timothy, and he's just grilling it into him who he is. He goes, but you, oh man of God. I just like that. I picture Paul with a bit of a snarl. He's real smart. He's just grilling in the young Timothy. But you, oh man of God, get it in you. Figure it out. I started, I started doing this with my own son. My son Dawson is seven. From when he was born, I just started calling him man of God. I named him Dawson because it means son of David and made me feel good about myself. But, <laughs> but I, don't actually, I didn't call him Dawson. I called him man of God. Just taking on what Paul calls Timothy. Just, hey, man of God, hey, man of God. He grew up one, two, three. Man of God, man of God. So much so that whenever, you know, around our house, if you said Dawson, nothing. Dawson, nothing. Hey, man of God. Yeah, dad. I mean, you know, like, forgot his own name. I mean, I grilled it into him. This week at baseball practice, I said to him, you mind me calling you man of God? He goes, no, it's cool, it's cool. But I'm just grilling it. I'm just grilling it into my boy. You're a man of God. That's who you are. And let me tell you this. As you face temptation. As you go back where there's another story, another story being told, the way that you'll stand in the midst of temptation and lies all around you, the way that you will be light, and more than what my friends say about me, you got to just come down and go, I choose to believe. What are reasons will you go, well, well, this and well, that, and well, I, could, I should believe this like because this bad thing happened to me. I, I hate to tell you this, guys, but hard things are going to happen to you for the rest of your life. I wish it wasn't so. I wish I could tell you, hey, life's going to be easy, but let's just buck up and face reality. We're going to have, we're going to have hard things for the rest of our lives. You're going to use that as a reason to live in token complacency? No. No, 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 no. No. We go, no, we know who we are. We stand 
who we are as Christ's redeemed. Know who you are. And I love this story, Daniel chapter three. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Most of you know them as Rack, Shack, and Benny. But before, <laughs> but before they were ever vegetables that preached, they were actually real people with different names. They're Hebrew teenage boys and they, were, they lived in Judah and they were captured out and brought into a foreign land called Babylon. And there was a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar and he built a statue that was 90 feet tall of himself. Talk about a narcissist, that's worse than Googling yourself every day. I mean, this guy was, or, or liking your own comments on Facebook, but this guy was like, way, 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 or tagging yourself in a tweet. I mean, you know, like those things are narcissism, but this is like crazy. I mean, this is like building a statue 90 feet high of yourself. That's, whoa, I mean, that's, that's a whole different level. And this guy builds, Nebuchadnezzar, he built it 90 feet high of himself. Then he says, bow down to it. <laughs> Talk about an ego. Jeez. Then, verse 13, there's these three guys that refuse to bow down. This is the story. Are you with me? Say aye, aye. aye. Come on, are you with me? Aye, aye, aye. Okay, good. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all other kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. And he mocks God, just like in our culture. Just, it'll happen to you all the time. Oh, come on. Always to God are equal. There's multiple paths. Oh, come on. What God? It's what Pharaoh said uh, to Moses. Who is your God? That, it's that accusation. It's that lie. It's that, uh, shrug it off. I don't, your God's not weighty to me then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious, just like people will be mad at you. Every time that you don't bow down to idols, people get ticked. And every time you start naming idols, people start defending their idols. It's like, we had a, it's like anytime, you know, anytime anybody starts saying, don't listen to this person, music, name someone by name. And you're like, oh, how dare you tell me not to listen to him? How dare you not listen to her? Why? Because it's an idol and you want to defend it. <laughs> because you like it. You got little things. And so if what Banning said, where he said, we give 100%, right? All of our lives is about Jesus. Well, then anybody that kind of encroaches upon one of your idols, even the conversation of it ticks you off because everybody loves to defend their idol. But anyway, that's for free. That's just to make you mad. But anyway, (laughs) and it does, and it's crazy. We still got idols everywhere. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He got mad. 
He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing the robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command, command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They, they said, uh, certainly your majesty. He said, uh, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the, the, the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So that's a whole different genre that he's going there. Servants of the Most High God. A moment ago, he's saying, who's your God? What God? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around him. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. I used to say singed till someone correct me. I was like, then their hair started singing. But anyway, <laughs> then I realized I got that wrong. Got to learn how to read. The, their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and, defi- and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Does that sound familiar? Give up their lives. We give up our life that we might find life. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. (laughs) Be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. (laughs) This guy was like a D personality. I mean, he went from building a statue of himself to say, you know, and saying, whoever doesn't worship me, I'm going to throw you and kill you. And then he's like, oh, your God rules. Whoever doesn't worship him, I'm going to cut you into pieces. I mean, he's got, anyway. For no no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Here's the crazy thing about this story. What enabled Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to not bow down to the idols of the age? The big idol, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, you know, we, we talk about ours because we live in materialism and we care about what other people think of us. When we talk about idols, we think we're still mostly thinking about ourselves because we're mostly thinking about wanting other people to like us and wanting comfort. And those aren't near as scary as death. And yet, and yet there's something so cemented, so solid, so real in the hearts of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that when when other people bow down, surely there were many of the other Hebrew boys that had been captured out of Judah and brought into Babylon, just like them. And yet we find the story of these three not bowing down when the music played. I don't know. I don't know what it sounded like. Probably not monkey toes with the weasel. But anyway, it was, I don't know. I don't know. Take me out to the idol. But whatever. It was... Some kind of music, satraps and lyres and flutes and all that. And the music started to play. And many bowed down, worshiped the idol. Well, 
got to save our lives. Don't want to be thrown into a furnace. Let's, let's worship Nebuchadnezzar, a statue of a man who thinks a lot of himself. This is our destiny. Was this our destiny? Was this, you know, when Yahweh said that he blessed us to be a blessing and that we would bless all nations and that he's our God and he's looking for a people and I don't know. Oh, well, here, I guess, I don't know. I'm just confused. I'll just believe the lie. Worship. And if you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going, dudes, what are you doing? What, what, what's in here? What's allowing them not to bow down? Guys, what? Guys, what is it? Is it that they're just stronger? Is it that they're buffer and they can take on Nebuchadnezzar? Is it that they think they can live through a fire because their skin is tough? No. No. They believe a story. They know who they are. They go, guys, what are you doing? You don't have to do this. You can stand. Do you remember? Don't you remember? Don't you remember that we're God's covenant people? Don't you remember that Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's our God. Don't you remember that he's the one that delivered us out of Egypt? Don't you remember the 10 plagues? Don't you remember that they, he crushed and brought us out of Egypt and sent flies and locusts and goats? No, it wasn't one of them, but oh, boils and leprosy and zits on them. And you remember that? They, they, and they brought us out, out of Egypt. Do you remember that? And then and they, that's our people. That's our God. And then our God was like, the Red Sea split because he took care of us and we ate bread. And they, they are, do you remember? That's our story. That's, that's who we are. That's our, we're God's covenant people. Don't you remember who we are? Don't you? Don't. No, we don't, we don't have. Don't. Exodus 20 says you shove no other gods before me. We have a God who takes care of us. We have a God who, no matter what happens, he is the truth. And we don't have to give in to the other idols. We don't have to give in to other gods. Don't you remember? The very core of what enabled them to stand was a covenant with Yahweh. Doesn't matter what happens. I'm committed. I'm, I've said, uh, he told me to have no other gods. He's the only, uh, he is the only God. And I believe the stories. I have faith in the stories of what's been told about who my people are, who God's people are. That's who I am. I'm one of those people. So I, in the midst of when everybody else is bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar, I don't have to because I remember who I am. Because I remember my story. Because I know my story is connected with God's story. And God, he, he, he reached down and he saved me. And he brought us up and he took care of us. And their story. So cemented. So ingrained. The very core is that they believed something up here. Believed the truth. Who they were. Their identity. When everybody else forgets. Because in the moment, in the moment, it seems like it's so easy to forget the story of who we are. Well, I don't know. King Nebuchadnezzar seems like he has more power than Yahweh right now. And you know, I just, I'm just gonna, just gonna give in. It happens all through the Old Testament. We find story after story after story of the people of God compromising because they cannot remember Yahweh. They can't remember God. They can't remember the stories of what he says about them, of who he says they are. That's where we live. Your temptation, you live in America, 
you live in a land where it's very, very easy to live for self. It's very, very easy to buy in to the lies of the enemy. And the music starts to play. And the ones that will not compromise are the ones that ingrained in their heart, tattooed on their brain, is who they are. Who I am in God. Who God has made me to be. What I believe, what I believe to be true about myself. So as you go back, my question for you is, what will you believe? Will this be a moment on the north side of Colorado Springs where you just kind of put it in your memory bank and define reality more by your present struggle than the scriptures and God? Or well, at your core, you go, I'll tell you who I am. I know who I am. You see, in those moments where you remember who you are, actually, those are your greatest moments. Because it's actually when you remember who you are and it bumps up against conflict where everybody else is forgotten, where there's tension. (laughs) And those tensions are your great opportunity to be the light of the world. And if you forego those opportunities, if you forget who you are in those moments, you forego the opportunity for a generation to know about Jesus. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what gave them the opportunity for everybody everywhere to see a miracle? And then for Nebuchadnezzar, Mr. Egomaniac, to say, everybody better worship Yahweh. It was a tension. Bow to the idol or die. What do you do in those moments? And those moments are coming. That's what happened with Daniel. Daniel, stop praying. We're going to the lion den. Boom, tension. There's your moment. Happens over and over again. Happened to Jesus. Jesus, how dare you claim to be who you say had the Messiah? Pilate looked at him. Don't you realize, John 19, don't you realize I have the power to have you crucified? You would have no power over me unless it were given to you from above. Ha ha. Knows who he is. Conflict with the Romans. Go through over and over again. And if you compromise in those moments, you forego the opportunity for a generation to know about God. For a generation to know about Jesus. I, it happened to me my junior year of high school. My junior year of high school, I had, had uh, run for uh, a student council office and, and God had done awesome things my junior year of high school. We saw God do just phenomenal, phenomenal things. And, but I kind of leveraged my student council position to just you know, preach at people every day and a lot of people hated that. Secular high school. And so uh, some people loved it, some people hated it. But I remember there was a moment for me because... Uh, Towards the end of that year, we had elections for the next year for my senior year. And uh, I remember just the moment where I was tempted to give up. Because the, someone that was running against me came, they put up eight foot banners all throughout the school. You could put 10. This person who was running against me put 10. And she put something along the lines in three foot letters, huge, you know, said, the rabbi, the priest, the ayatollah, all religions are voting for so-and-so. And there was this, this campaign against this religious kid that kept pressing Jesus. And there was a 
conflict inside of me because this was, these were cool kids. These were, these were some of my buds and they were some of my friends and all of a sudden it became a real tension and I remember having the moment. Okay, maybe I'm pressing this too far and the front page of our little school newspaper had stuff about church and state and there was big discussions. <laughs> and you run into it where you start to question Shattered me, she's gonna go bigger. Well, maybe, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe, maybe I should bow so that I can live and be a witness. <laughs> maybe that I, maybe I should bow down and, and, and worship, you know, because, and just conceive something in your brain. Oh, the lies of the enemy are so twisted. It's what the word wicked means. It means twisted. The wicked ways are so twisted to try to get us to compromise. We try, and we are, we are so sick with trying to be cool, and be accepted, far stronger than our core conviction that I'm Christ and it doesn't matter what happens to me. That's so foreign to us. We use Christ as a means to become happy, which is the opposite of Christianity. It's called humanism. No, Christianity is surrendered to Jesus. He's, he's already named me something different and I live on mission for Jesus, with Jesus, so that when there are crisis moments where my life creates, where I refuse to bow down, I will not give in to the idols, it will always create tension. And those tensions are your greatest moment. That's how people see. I love the story of this kid, Joel Northrup in Iowa. Did you hear about this this year? This kid named Joel, he's from Iowa, he's a wrestler, 15 years old, he's in the state championship, and he was supposed to wrestle a girl. He's a boy, and he's a Christian. And his, he and his dad, they quote his dad over and over again. He said, my, and his, his dad says, we don't believe that it's right for our son to wrestle in a singlet, a girl, and we take a stand. And it became front page, ESPN, became, dot com. It became front page of the Gazette, our newspaper here in town. And all of a sudden, a 15-year-old kid, I'm not talking about what you think about if boys and girls should wrestle, let your youth pastor struggle with that. <laughs> I am talking about a boy that's got a conviction. I am talking about a young man that said, I'm 15, but here I stand. Tension everywhere. But proclamation. Where are young men and women that stand? Stand. Firm and who they are. I remember in, my, in that moment for me, that, 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 that tweak, that, oh, should I slow down? And then that resiliency that said, of course not. No, no, this is a great opportunity. These are great days. And God did great things the next year, even better than the year before. Stand, don't bow, don't bow. Believe the story of the truth. Believe the truth more than anything. And that truth of who you are in God will empower you to stand, to not compromise when everybody else is bowing down. I know everybody gets upset and they go, well, David, I just feel like maybe then I'm gonna be an elitist because, I don't know, I'm supposed to love these people. That's so... Milk toasty logic. It's so crazy that we would talk that way. 
Are you kidding me? The idea of what it means to follow Jesus is that you follow him, you refuse to compromise, and you, Jesus said it, in this life you will have trouble. There will be people that are bugged by that. That's just the way, that's what happened to Jesus. They crucified him. We sang it up up here with John Mark McMillan. They murdered our Lord. You remember the song we sang? Murdered son. Voices like mine. We look similar actually. But <laughs> one murdered son. Remember that? They took him out. Oh, and I know, I know, I know. You go, yeah, but I don't want to. Right, let me tell you something. It is so easy. Easy, cheesy, lazy. It is so easy to live as a radical Christian in our youth group where it's acceptable. We can be passionate. We'll pray. We'll prophesy. I'll give prophetic words. I'll pray over you. I'll, what do you want me to say? I'll memorize this. La. Because in our culture, that's fine. Yeah, go, if you go to your religious establishment and do it there, great. In American culture, no problem. No problem. But the moment you take it to the public sector, well, well, you take it out in public. Hey, that's that. You don't don't bring that into the private. Don't you can keep it in the private sector. Don't bring that into the public square. Don't bring that out here. Problem is for us, we then do that. We go, okay, great. Great, I'll be passionate for Jesus out here and I'll come up with all the reasons why I'm not supposed to be passionate for God, holy for God, consecrated unto God, not bow down to idols out here. We got all kinds of lies in our head because it's really where we wanna live because it's so much easier, so much comfortable because really it's easy for us to bow our knee to the culture rather than bow our knee to Jesus. Because here's the deal. Jesus told us to go be the light of the world. Jesus told us not to compromise. Jesus told us to stand. Jesus told us to take him to the public sector. And when you take him to the public school, the public sector, everybody gets upset. So we come up with all the reasons how we can compartmentalize it. Problem is, is that Jesus told us to do it. They got mad at Jesus. They murdered Jesus. They'll probably get pretty ticked at you. That's Christianity. That's what we signed up for. That's what we're called to. That's what, the way that it is. You don't bow down to idols that other people bow down to. They will be frustrated. It's going to happen. If you bring idols into your Christianity and you accept them and say, well, this is the way it is, so you bring it into your Christianity, then Jesus will be frustrated and spit us out of his mouth. It's a choice. Which story wins? Which story? Will we compromise? Will we stand? you get locked in your heart who you are you'll have the strength to stand you'll find strength father does it to Jesus even when Jesus is about to start his ministry Matthew chapter 3 and of course Jesus in Matthew 4 is about to go remember this he's about to go and actually go into the desert and be tempted by the devil remember that and yet there's this great moment there's this great moment I'm going to use a chair Banning can use a chair as a prop I can use a chair too <laughs> All right. All right. OK. 
Okay, here we go. All right. Whoops, sorry. Oh, sorry about that. Okay. All right. There we go. Okay, there's this story. Jesus is baptized. And I love this story because there's something so full of life in it. Where Jesus lived perfectly for 30 years. Absolute righteousness. I mean, flawless. Perfect. Right? Proverbs says that a wise son makes his father's heart glad. Imagine the gladness in the heart of God when your son is perfect. (laughs) Lots of love. (laughs) Lots of delight. Hey, you know, he's perfect. What's up? That's a son I can delight in. Jesus lives with, with absolute perfection. He's sinless. And there's the story where he's about to not just go into the wilderness, but he's going to begin his three-year ministry. And I don't know how familiar you are with it, but most of us know the story because we're familiar with John the Baptist baptized with the great Trinitarian moment where the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus. The Father speaks audibly. Jesus represents total humility by John the Baptist baptizing him. It's a great picture of Trinity in one moment. Father, Son, Spirit. Right before Jesus goes into ministry, there's this great moment where God speaks audibly from heaven. Most of us just think about the little dove coming down. But remember, this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. Remember that? It's a great moment. God, think about that. Just stop and freeze frame. And I know that we think mostly, you know, like we're so familiar with Bible stories. But just imagine an audible voice from heaven talking and people around heard it. Oh, that would be amazing. I mean, and how you hear that voice. How, I mean, there's, so, there's such language in the heart of the father right here because he says that he's pleased with his son and that he loves us. This is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. So what we find in the emotion in the heart of God right here is delight, great delight. And when God talks audibly about his son, he talks with great delight. And how you hear, how you picture that, that voice, how you, how you hear it in your mind matters. It, it, it helps form the image that you have about God. John just talked about Tozer. A.W. Tozer said, the way that you think about God is the most important thing about you. All right? So how do you hear? What kind of voice do you hear? This is my son whom I love. Some of you, you imagine this kind of this wisp, and it's like God leaning over the balcony of heaven. You go, this is my son whom I love. Please. You know, and you've kind of got this <laughs> mystical view of God, you know? Kind of like, ooh, how you doing up there? La, 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 la. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Some of you, you, you just think of God kind of systematically going through, you know, time. And you just think it's almost robotic. This is my son, whom I love, you know. You've got this really strange, almost mechanical view of God, like, I don't know. I don't know how you hear him. Some of you picture just some old man up in heaven with a white beard, you know, kind of a Sean Connery. This is my son, whom I love, you know, that kind of thing. Come on, well, please, you know, that kind of thing. different images in our brain what we think of God but if I read the text and I read the reason why the father is speaking over him it's because he's filled with delight it's because he loves his boy this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased he's excited he's just like that's my boy That's the one that I love. Hey, Moses, come here. Hey, Elijah, come here. 
just undone. I can imagine Elijah and Moses are like, God, chill out. Don't, don't, don't like scream, you know. Don't lean on, don't scream. We don't mess. I mean, you've never really, you know, talking audibly from the sky. I mean, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's like, oh, shut up. That's the guy I love. What's up, G? How you doing, my boy? I love you, man. I miss you up here, dude. Come on, let's get this thing done. For the joy set before you endure the cross, let's hang out together, my boy. He loves him. He's speaking into him right there at the core. Believe this, Jesus. Get this. I love you. I delight in you. I like you. You're my son. You're about to go face the devil. You need to know this. You need to remember this. Remember you're my son. Remember you're my boy. Remember that. Remember. They're not going to be that nice to you, G. Uh, Trust me. They're going to whip you. They're going to crucify you. You're going to have no followers before it's over. Even the, one, even the ones that are closest to you are going to betray you. But I'm with you. And I love you. And you're my son. Remember who you are. You're my boy. And I love you. And I'm with you. John 13, Jesus, when Jesus goes to serve, it says that Jesus knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. I love John the Apostle writes that in. He goes, Jesus, knowing who he was, Knowing where he came from, knowing where he's going, he embraced service. He knows. He knows who he is. When you know who you are, when you know who you are, you don't have to give in to what everybody else says about you. The reason why we get so upset, we say, no, I want to live. I want to live the good life and I want to live the Christian life. But this isn't, that's not the way this goes. In this life, we follow Jesus no matter if it's the good life or not. Some of you will follow Jesus and you may end up the American dream, a rich old white man with a boat. And some of you may die a martyr's death. Some of you may end up in the White House and some of you may end up in a mud hut in Mexico. I don't know. I don't know where this thing will take you. But if your promise is in well, and if that's what you're weighing in your head, I'll do this Jesus thing, depending on how that turns out, then you've missed it. Then it's still not about Jesus. It's still about you. And it's gotta be about Jesus. And if you look in with this guy who says, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're the one that I love. Jesus said in John 15, Jesus looks at him and goes, hey guys, 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 guys. He looks at his boys. And he's like, you know, his boy, oh, he's, actually it's a Jewish thing. He's not sitting in a chair. He's laying down like this at a meal. And he's like, (laughs) sometimes doing sermons where you act things out gets awkward. So sorry. This is just, I was vice president of drama club. This is just the way it goes. Okay. All right. So (laughs) all right. Sorry. All right. All right. My father would be embarrassed at this moment. Okay. I was like, what happened to my son? No, just kidding. All right. So and Jesus is right there. He's, he's talking to his disciples. He's like, hey, guys, as the Father has loved me. This is John 15, 9. He goes, as the Father has loved me. That's how much I love you, Matthew. Matthew? Matthew, stop counting your money. Pay attention. <laughs> Peter. Just shut up, Peter. Just, just, <laughs> stop talking for a second. 
John, get your head off my chest. I want you to listen. <laughs> this is really important, guys. As the Father has loved me. Yeah. Screaming audibly over the balcony of heaven. Remember that? Remember that? Yeah. That measure. That's how much I love you. That's how I feel about you. Get that in your core. Remember this. Remember who you are. Remember this. Lock in with this. You're going to need to know this. There's going to be some hard days ahead. Um, James, they're going to take your head because you followed me. Remember this. I love you. John, you're going to be exiled on an island, but you get to live. <laughs> Peter, you're going to be crucified upside down. Sorry, bud. You're going to be filleted. Yeah. Ooh, I know. I know. I know. I know. No. Sorry. But you know what? None of the. I, 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 as a father, listen, you need to get this. He goes, guys, as the Father has loved me, I've loved you. And you are beloved. You are loved. And if you get that, you can embrace martyrdom. You're not going to, you, you boys aren't going to get the good life. You're just not. Peter, you're going to get to preach finally, but you're, you're, you're not going to get the good life. You're going you're gonna to lose your lives for me. You're going to lose your lives for me, so you better remember who you are. Friends, my only thing is you go back to where you came from, the core thing that you've got to get that will empower you to not bow down to the idols of our age, which are everywhere. To not give in when people are upset because you won't give in to the idols that they love. The way that you will sustain being a Christ follower is remember who you are. Remember, Galatians says that you're sons. Revelation 19 says that you're his bride. You know what Ephesians 2.6 says? You're seated with him in heavenly places. Ephesians 1 says you're saints. My dream is that we would end tonight remembering who you are. And my only dream tonight is to be that little Rafiki and come beat you over the head and say, remember who you are. You're the son of the king. You've got a destiny. Will you stand with me? Johnny, if you guys will come back up. Tonight, if you want the Father to declare to you who you are, even in a prophetic way, let the Holy Spirit just declare, maybe it'll be a verse that he'll bring to mind, but you want God to remind you of who you are in him. I just want you to come forward. Let's just wait upon the Lord for a moment and let God speak identity into us. Just come on forward. If you want the Lord to speak who you are tonight, we're just going to take a moment and pray here. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. 
because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life. 